Welcome to the Faith Cup Podcast. We are glad you are here today. May God bless you in order for you to be a blessing to those around you. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you, Greg, and worship team for leading us. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. It is good to be back with you again this Sunday. Uh, our family had the opportunity to take a, a late vacation in September to Disneyland, and we had a wonderful trip to go after everybody else had gone back to school and spent some time in the park when uh, most of the crowds were not there, although there were quite a few people still there. We were surprised how many people were there, but we had a wonderful time in the park. Unfortunately, I came back with COVID, so I was quarantining for five days plus, and uh, so was not able to be with you guys last Sunday with uh, Pastor Dean preaching, uh, but I am able to be back now, so it is good to be here. Uh, although, you know, I'm not one who uh, necessarily sees the devil in every negative circumstances, but I just can't help but feel like there's just a lot of stuff that we're facing as a congregation right now. Um, not only was I out with COVID, but then on the day that I was coming back, Lori Tormanen came down with COVID and she's been out the whole week. And then midweek, Greg's back went out. I don't know if you know, he was like barely able to stand up here this morning and he's just uh, upright for the first time. And I know many of you have been sick and we're struggling and it just seems like maybe God is wanting to do something special here at the church and the devil isn't happy. <laughs> And so just in case, even if it's not the devil, but the devil might want to use some of the negative experiences we're having to discourage us or to get us down or to uh, drive a wedge in between our relationships, would you just pray with me today that, that God would be in our midst and that God would use even the challenges that we're facing to drive us together and to drive us into relationship with him and one another this morning as we spend time looking in his word. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that through all the ups and downs, through the good times and the hard times, you promise to be with us and to use everything for our good and for your glory. And so we ask now that you would uh, work against any forces of evil or the enemy that would seek to use the circumstances of our lives in our congregation to, to discourage us or to drive a wedge in our relationships to separate us from you or from one another that you would give us the courage to understand that no matter what we're facing, that you are with us and that you desire to bless us and that as we trust in you, we can put our hearts in the right place and we can put our confidence in the one who promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that no matter what this world throws at us, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God which we find in Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning, and we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw us to yourself and that you would speak through your word and through your spirit, that word that we each need to hear today, as you set us on that path to wash us clean, to forgive us our sins, and to call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us the last few weeks through the month of September, you know that we introduced a new theme for the year called Beyond Belief. 
It's the first time we've done an annual theme, and so it's a little bit of an experiment, and we're going to see how God might use that in the weeks and the months ahead to bless us and to uh, teach us about what He might be wanting to do among us. Uh, As we suggested, uh, as we, along with every other church in America and perhaps It's back on? All right. As we, with every other church in America and perhaps even around the world, continue to explore what the future of the church holds in this crazy world that we live in, uh, that is this post-pandemic, post-modern, even post-Christian society in which we're trying to live, there's this growing sense that what people in the world need, which I have suggested is really the same thing that we as Christians in the church need, is not more of what the world already has to offer. It's not more of, uh, of what the world has wrapped up in the Christian language or in Christian branding or in Christian packaging. What people need to see and to hear and to taste and to touch more of is what Paul identified in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, is that what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. And these are the things that we're hoping for and we're praying for and that we're seeking to discern together here at Faith Covenant Church in the year ahead. I believe that God has been preparing preparing us for these some new things that he is planning to do among us in in the weeks and the months ahead. And I I believe he's been giving us hints and clues that, that he might be planning to do more than we could even ask for or imagine, and that we simply need to be able to trust in him for those things and be willing to be intentional about coming together and waiting on him and on his spirit for him to reveal those things in his way and in his time. Then in the second week, uh, our own pastor emeritus, Steve Starr, brought God's word to us and he helped us to reflect on how, at its core, the gospel message about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the fact that someone was willing to actually die for you and for me to show us how much God loves us is itself beyond belief. And the very starting point of our faith, of our relationship with God, where we're invited to come uh, into relationship with Him through the free gift of God's forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ, is a starting point that should be blowing our minds and inviting us each and and every day to to start fresh and new with with a, a wonder and an awe about this relationship we have with God. And then last week, Pastor Dean gave us a powerful reminder that faith itself is more than just a system of beliefs that we we hold in our minds, that the foundation of our very faith is learning to trust in Jesus, to to learn to trust in that relationship we have that should be blowing our minds. And in spite of how our present circumstances might appear, our trust in Jesus is what gives us the faith that we need to step out of the boat of whatever circumstances in life we find ourselves in and to begin to trust in God's miraculous provision for our lives. And I'd like to suggest for us this morning that these messages have been preparing us to enter into this new series that we're starting today where we'll be looking back to the Old Testament story of Daniel whose own personal journey also invites us to consider that, 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 that our faith in the God of the Bible 
allows us to not only rely on the relationship we have with God in the midst of our own trying circumstances in this world, but to remember that even when the world around us seems to be spinning out of control, we can trust that we worship a God who nonetheless remains in control and that he is present and he is active, even when we might not be able to see or understand where he is or how he's working, he is always working his purposes out and promises that he will bring his purposes to fulfillment in the lives of his people. I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 and then jump to just verse 21 as our introduction to the series this morning. We're going to be doing chapters 1 through 6 this fall, which are the stories of Daniel and his friends. And then we're going to pause for Advent and Christmas and we'll come back to a part 2 in Daniel in the new year. We'll be looking at his prophetic visions and so we'll work through the whole book, but we'll be doing it in two parts. Daniel begins in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the, put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Sounds like the kids from our youth group, right? He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he, the name uh, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And then quickly jumping to the very end of chapter 1, at verse 21, it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so I want to talk a little bit today about the, the background of the, the story of Daniel. And here in the first chapter, Daniel begins and ends with these chronological, historical markers that signal the beginning and the end of Daniel's, what we could call his ministry in Babylon. In verse 1, it identifies the third year of King Jehoiakim as the beginning, and where we just saw in verse 21, it identifies the first year of King Cyrus as the end point. Now, these historical markers place the story of Daniel's career as a prophet of God from about 605 to about 539 BC. Now, we have some maps to show you, and this was kind of a rough look at the 6th century BC world of Daniel. And you can see that what we know from the books of the Bible, as well as many other historical records from Mesopotamia and the ancient Near East, that there was a lot happening in the world at this time. 
with the geopolitical fault lines constantly shifting, causing ongoing warfare, constant jockeying for position between superpowers, leading to socioeconomic upheaval, mass migrations of people groups, and of course the nation of Judah found itself at these crossroads of warring powers, constantly caught in the middle. Uh, Those were all the things that were on the news last night. And really, as Ecclesiastes has reminded us, there is nothing new under the sun. Historically, we know that Assyria had ruled the known world for about 200 years. You can see Assyria was kind of up in the north there on the second map. And uh, when Nabopolassar came to the throne in Babylon and rebelled against the Assyrians in 625 B.C., and crown prince Nebuchadnezzar, who was the son of Nabopolassar, um, was the general who led the Babylonian army against Nineveh. You're familiar with the city of Nineveh, was the capital of Assyria up there in the north, and he defeated Nineveh in the year 612 B.C. Then in 605, Nebuchadnezzar also won the battle of Carchemish, against the Egyptian empire who had come up from the south to ally with the Assyrians in the north, establishing um, Babylonian domination in the region. We have one more map that I can show you where Carchemish is. It's a little blurry, but if you go up the coast of Israel to the very northern part of the green part, Nineveh and Carchemish are up there. So Egypt had come up to partner with the Assyrians, Nebuchadnezzar kicked their butts, chased them all the way down and out of Israel, and ended up in Jerusalem in 605 BC. So while he's in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar hears that his father, Nabopolassar, had died. He leaves Jerusalem, heads back to Babylon. I think we have one more map to kind of show you. He heads back to Mesopotamia and the capital of Babylon to assume the throne of Babylon. So at this time, with Nebuchadnezzar traveling back to Babylon, we have the very first group of Jewish captives who were taken to Babylon, uh, including Daniel and his friends. And so the first chapter of Daniel begins to set the scene of this story and introduce some of the main characters who we're going to be uh, hearing about. Now, on the surface, it may look like Nebuchadnezzar had all of the power and God's people had none. But the story very quickly informs us that there's a greater reality going on that we need to be aware of and that the author wants us to understand right from the beginning that we should know that there's another power at play in this story. Very simply, he says at the very beginning that it was the Lord who delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. It's just one simple verse right there at the beginning. He says it was the Lord's doing. Though Nebuchadnezzar and the might of the Babylonian empire was considerable, they were not the reason that Jerusalem fell under his influence. It was the result of the will and the action of God himself who allowed Nebuchadnezzar to have sway over God's people. Now, the story doesn't tell us here at this point why God would allow Nebuchadnezzar to move against his people in this way, but later in the story, in chapter 9, in Daniel's prayer, he will confess 
and recount the story that other books of the Bible will tell us that this disaster took place because of the sin of the people of God and that they had rebelled against God's ways and against God's commands. It also says that Nebuchadnezzar took articles from the temple of God and placed them in the temple of Babylon, which was apparently a common practice at this time when the victorious army would plunder the temple of the vanquished nation and and take those symbols of the religious uh, culture of the people and place it in their temple of their God as a sign of their victorious uh, religion or the, the victory of their God over the neighboring gods. And while this is uh, just a simple mention here again at the beginning of the story, it's also a foreshadowing of some of the stories that we're going to hear about as we move into the later stories in coming chapters. But not only did conquering nations take items of worship, they also took people. And so the expanding empire of the Babylonians needed an expanding bureaucracy which could be enhanced by taking the best and the brightest from the lands of the native peoples that they conquered. And these young men that were taken were assumed to be teenagers. They were usually 15, 16, 17, maybe as old as 20. But most scholars believe that Daniel and his friends were high school age. And for Daniel and his friends, this would have included education in language and literature and arts and culture in Babylon, including uh, the divination and astrology and the interpreting portents and omens and the very kinds of things that we hear about in in the stories uh, of the uh, magicians and the diviners who were trying to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. And all of those things were the things that they would have been uh, schooled in and studied in uh, under the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. In verse 6 and 7, we learned that their names were even changed as well, which is significant, maybe even more significant than for us, because in the ancient Near East, a person's name often contained a, a portion of the name of their god, which was a part of their cultural and personal identity that was handed on from generation to generation in their tribe and in their nation and their family. The name Daniel was uh, meant God is my judge, and they changed it to Belteshazzar, which means Bel will protect. So rather than the god El, which was the god of the Bible, they changed it to the god Bel, which was a god of Babylon. Azariah, which means Yah is my help, which is a short form for Yahweh, meaning the God of the Bible is my help, they changed it to Abednego, meaning a servant of Nego or of Nabu. Hananiah, which means Yah has been gracious, was changed to Shadrach, which means inspired of Aku, which was the moon god in Babylon. And then, of course, Mishael, which means who is what God is, was changed to Meshach, which means either belonging to Aku or who is what Aku is. And so by giving them new names, they were attempting to change their identities and their affiliations and their allegiances from their original culture and land to the new culture of Babylon and to the new society and to the new religion. Now, I want to suggest for us today as part of the uh, introduction to the series that that there's one key takeaway that the, the book of Daniel wants us to focus on and remember. And the one key takeaway from the whole book of Daniel that they're introducing right here in the very beginning verses, that in spite of all appearances, God is always 
in control. In spite of all appearances, God is always in control. Now, while the focus of the camera is often on the human characters in the story that we're going to hear in the book of Daniel, like the rest of the Bible, it's a book about God. And what we see is that God reveals himself in his relationship to his people. And in Daniel, God's sovereignty is not described abstractly or or in separation from what's happening here on earth, but in the midst of the historical processes and the nitty-gritty of what happens in people's lives. And so within the first few verses, we can see that that it's really God and not Nebuchadnezzar who's behind this assertion of power by the Babylonians over Judah. And, And really, all of the geopolitical chaos that's happening, God is in the midst of that, pulling the strings and making sure that his purposes are being worked out. Each chapter that we'll go through tells a different story, but each story is ultimately a story of God's divine power and God's divine purpose being worked out through the story of his people. And in this demonstration of his faithfulness and his sovereignty and his power, uh, there's one important purpose for God, and that's to encourage his people in the midst of difficult and trying circumstances. Yes, God's people had messed up. Yes, God's people had rejected his ways and and they had sinned. Yes, God was bringing a punishment on them, but it didn't mean that God had abandoned them. It didn't mean that God had turned his back on them. It meant that God was going to continue to walk with them. And even through their experience of being in exile, God was going to bless them and God was going to use them and God was going to fulfill his original promise to Abraham that God's people were going to be a nation that was going to be a blessing to the entire world. And so even through the story of Daniel, in the midst of exile, in a foreign land, being dominated by by a power like Nebuchadnezzar, we can see that God is bringing that promise to fruition where God's people are even being a blessing to their oppressors. From our limited human perspective, it can be easy to think that we have simply become powerless pawns in the midst of evil forces at work in the world, but the story of Daniel invites us to re-examine our own circumstances, to trust in the, the power of God to be at work in our own lives and in our own situations, even when it might not seem like he actually is in control. And like the rest of the Bible, Daniel is a book that is intended to point us not to our own human wisdom and strength, but to point us to God. The point of Daniel is not to have us to look at the heroes of the faith like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, oh my gosh, you know, they were so amazing. They went into lion's dens and fiery furnaces and they had just such amazing faith. There's no way that we could ever be like them because the story actually isn't about them. The story is about the God who was faithful to these young men who simply remained faithful to their convictions and trusted in God to save them. It's a part of God's revelation of who he is and how he continually acts throughout history for the redemption of his people who put their trust in him. 
And as we walk through the story of Daniel, we may begin to see in our own stories how God has had a purpose in a relationship that has been confused for us in the past that we didn't understand. Or in a circumstances that has frustrated us, that has left us feeling stuck and, and, and not understanding how God has allowed us to, to be in that situation. We may begin to see patterns in our lives or in our relationships with God that we didn't recognize before, but God might begin to, to bring a new light to understand how God has been using that to bring us to a new situation where he's wanting to bless us and use us in ways that we didn't understand before. We might begin to understand how God shapes and guides the stories of our lives through all of the circumstances, whether they're uh, intended by others for our good or our ill, God can use all things for our good and for his glory. In this way, the story of Daniel is a part of the larger story of God's redemption and how even though our experiences of loss and even separation from God, God promises that He remains faithful and true and His faithfulness endures even when maybe we are going through those experiences that some have called the dark night of the soul. And I know in this pandemic season and this difficult season where we're coming out of us, many of us have felt that, that ongoing sense of, of depression and, and darkness and, and feeling stuck and not knowing how do we get out of this malaise in which we find ourselves. And maybe you even today are feeling like you're in that season of, of a dark night of your own soul. And maybe the book of Daniel is an encouragement to you that, that while you might be feeling in exile from God today and exile from light in your life, nonetheless, God is with you. And maybe God is working in ways that you didn't anticipate or you didn't understand, and he's wanting to lead you to a new understanding of his love for you and how he's wanting to lead you to a new experience of his grace and your, his mercy in your life. Maybe some questions for us as we go into this series. In what ways might God be calling us today to make a stand for our faith in the midst of a constantly changing culture? I think that's always a challenge for us as Christians is how do we stand for our faith in the midst of a changing culture? But I'd also like to suggest that it's possible that we might learn from Daniel uh, that taking a stand for our faith in a world that is hostile to God and in opposition to the ways of Jesus might look different than we had previously imagined. Maybe we can learn from Daniel and his friends ways that we might be able to, to take a stand in our new world, in our new culture, in ways that are a little bit more grace-filled and a little bit more influential and, and, and less oppressive or less aggressive, but, but more civil and more ability, with more ability to actually make a difference in the lives of people around us. Perhaps a lesson from Daniel is that our challenge, too, is not how to make our culture Christian, but to learn in new ways how to be Christian living in a hostile culture. Let me say that one more time. Perhaps a lesson for us from the book of Daniel is not how to make our culture Christian, but to learn in new ways how to be a Christian living in a hostile culture. I think the reality that we've been wrestling with for some years now and perhaps even several decades, if we're really honest and we have to admit it, is that we do not live in a Christian nation. 
as much as we wish it was, as much as we long for it to be, as much as we dream of what America could be if it was a Christian nation, America is not a Christian nation. In fact, if we're really honest and if you're a student of history, America is more like Babylon in Daniel's day or Rome in Jesus' day than it is like, like the church of the Bible that we see. It's, it's more like Babylon than, than it ever was like the nation of Israel that was a, an ethnically identified religious people that was called out by God to represent the kingdom of God in the world. But it doesn't mean that we should then withdraw from the world and hide ourselves in fear and assume that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing that we can do to make a difference in the world around us. In fact, Daniel is going to point out the fact that it's just the opposite. And Daniel should remind us of the words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 16, where Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You see, Jesus calls his disciples sheep and the rest of the world wolves. But he asks for courage from his sheep to live among them as wolves. And he gives them this two-part strategy to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And in many ways, I suggest for you today that this describes Daniel for us perfectly. Daniel certainly was innocent, and yet he was also serpent-like in his craftiness and his strategy to remain faithful for God in the midst of a, a people and a culture that was antithetical to his deeply held faith convictions. And as a result of his craftiness and yet his willingness to stand up for his faith in the right ways, in the right time, and following God's lead, Daniel was able to wield incredible influence in unexpected ways and to, to change the course of an entire empire for God. And in the end, he outlasted his enemies and saw the vindication of his people. So I invite you to open your hearts and open your minds to the story of Daniel and maybe God would want to see you See some new things in a story that you learned years ago. Maybe even in Sunday school as a kid, stuff that you're like, oh yeah, I know Daniel. I know that story. I've been living with that story my whole life. Well, maybe, just maybe, God may have something new to teach you again this time around. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the story of Daniel and his friends, we thank you that you are a God who remains faithful even when we mess up and make mistakes. God, when we go through hard times and we feel distant and separated from you, we trust that you still have us in your hands and you promise to work all things for our good and your glory. And as we enter into this new season of looking into the story of Daniel, we pray, God, that you would open this story to us in new ways that reveals to us the pattern of your work in our lives, the challenges that you give us to uh, step out into the world in new ways to live as sheep among wolves, to remain innocent as doves, but also to learn, God, to be 
shrewd as serpents in your call to live the light of your gospel, to be an influence in the world. Maybe not from a position of power, but God, maybe from a position of weakness, from a position of servant leadership and a a place of love. Help us to see, God, how you're wanting to lead us to places that are maybe beyond what we have believed were possible in the year ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Cove Podcast. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Adam Johnson. For more information about our church community, visit faithcovesumner.com. Until next time!